You're listening to episode 191 of G.I. Joeberg. I'm your host, Steve, and I'm joined by the boys... Paul and... Robert. Robert's here, back in the pit. Hell yeah. (laughs) And the title of this episode, Oil and Water, relates to when two opposites meet. We're talking buddy cop scenarios, we're talking team-ups, we're talking The Falcon and The Winter Soldier. Great show. Did you guys check it out? I did. And it's really awesome. And if you joined our live audience, you've heard a long conversation about it that unfortunately wasn't recorded. (laughs) (laughs) But the cliff notes for everyone who hasn't uh, been part of our live studio audience, I think it's fantastic. I think it's a, a step back towards the more conventional MCU style of of story that we can become accustomed to. Whereas WandaVision was experimental and might have lost a few people on the way because of that that approach, this is definitely going to win them back. And I've always had that kind of feel towards the more street-level superheroes. I enjoy them because you can follow their fight choreography better. It's more visceral. It's more real. It's not two magical beings hurling bolts at each other as they fly through you know through this astral plane bizarre (laughs) i agree with you there because i'm also a big fan of like the defenders and i I love spider-man who is essentially like the street level superhero and so yeah uh, 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 the falcon and the winter soldier is very comic book (laughs) and i enjoy that and i find that the way that it's shot is very um not tv but very much more comic book styled and very, and very much to me in the style of things like new Avengers and Aven- uh, ultimate Avengers, etc. It's got that strength in writing anyway. Yeah. 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 I've seen the first episode and I think it's, it's really brilliant. Um, probably my favorite movies, or at least some, one of some of my favorite movies in the Marvel universe were winter soldier and civil war. Um, Probably more Winter Soldier, but yeah, the real yeah. world aspects of superheroics is more interesting often. Even though, yes, as a kid, I, I enjoyed playing with overpowered beings. Um, I can appreciate appreciate all of it, and it's nice to kind of go from the over the top creativeness of One Division and come back down to like a more real world um, representation of superheroics. That's quite a broad arc you've had there, Rob. As I recall, I, I had Cable and you had Deadpool. And while I was off punching some guy with my cyborg arm, you were inventing brand new powers, like reality warping <laughs> powers. And Deadpool was off sort of flying around, <laughs> commuting on the astral plane and multi-dimensions and stuff, fighting it's, off It's probably because I had no idea who Deadpool was at the time. You know, he just uh, looked like super, some sort of super-powered like magic dude um he just looked cool so i was just like i can do whatever i want with him but and I'm then like, and, yeah, it might have been the weed box you know <laughs> little 12 year old then... robert just choking <laughs> <laughs> then flash forward to i think the last time we ever played with uh, superhero action figures and can you recall the content of that game robbie i think it was very paired back um i think i played hawkeye and you were yeah. Falcon? Very yeah. Good. Um, and it was kind of like an alternate reality dimension um, where we were the only people who remembered the actual world. Um, 
and we were trying to like convince people. Uh, and we were on the heroes. run from the other the other Avengers. I think Cap yes. was trying to hunt us down. Iron Man at one point. So we wound up turning to, and this was your suggestion. Thank you, Hawkeye. We wound up yeah, we... Uh, knocking on the door of the Latverian embassy to try and get hold of Doctor Doom. Yeah, uh, I mean, if anyone was unaffected by this, hopefully a guy in a, in a magical suit was. Ooh, indeed. Hell yeah. Oh, good times, man. Good times. Jeez. Hell yeah. It's interesting, though, actually, I mean, talking about alternate dimensions or realities where here everyone's forgotten things. Marvel Comics themselves are going to be doing something very similar soon called Heroes Reborn, which it itself is a redo of something that they did in the early 2000s. Yes, um, Jim Lee did some of the art for Fantastic Four. Etc. Fantastic Four, yeah. But this time yeah. it's going to be Blade, who is the only one who remembers. And the all the you know previous superheroes aren't superheroes, and it's now the Squadron Supreme, which is essentially the Marvel very very the Marvel version of the Justice League, which are the heroes of the world. And where does that go from there? So I thought that was kind of interesting. They're kind of playing off our oh. ideas now. Does that mean there's a Snyder Cut for the Marvel films coming in the future Maybe. somewhere? Because, I mean, there is a Joss Whedon Avengers movie, so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody's like, you stole my story! Release the Snyder Cut of Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Dangerous. Very dangerous. But speaking of the Snyder Cut, um, before we dive into our buddy cop things, uh, it did release this last week. Um, thoughts? Uh, I'll, Cut I'll, I'll... the bloody slow mo, please. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it felt like they were so desperate to pad out this runtime to give you essentially a new experience. Like, you could have exercised a little bit more restraint than that, Zach. Not everything that you shot had to be used. I felt like they're just using all their coverage and all their scenes. Yeah, it's. It didn't need to be four hours. But then again, it's not being released in cinemas. You don't have to rotate, you know, your, your theater um, in order to get maximize the number of screenings. It's all being digested in people's home setups. So you can make it as long as you want. Make it a week's worth of material. You're still going to get the same make number of subscriptions. <laughs> so yeah, our TV series, yeah. It's like, I, I, it cost a shit ton to do. I mean, apparently they sunk another 70 million, and that's a conservative estimate. Uh, th th that was just for the reshoots and the re-edits and, and what they needed to, to to pull the Snyder cut together. That on yeah, top of an CGI. That on top of an enormously bloated budget already, because like they shot this movie, it was completed. Then Zack Snyder's personal tragedy struck, yes. and then they, you know, Joss was brought on board, and then they went into reshoots. So they have they have made this film three times, and it's still kind of okay you know it's it's much better <laughs> than it was but it's still not great it's still not a masterpiece so yeah whatever. It, it it finally fits in with the other movies and i'm glad that he got to show what he wanted to you know to show to the world finally but yes i feel that there is a shorter version of this movie which is the perfect movie which is um, it would be an interesting editor's exercise really to then well, try and like take the four hour and and chisel it down to a more concise laser focused story and i'm sure it can be done but i'm not going to sink another 30 no, million sure. in to do it <laughs> but the fascinating yeah, my... thing I, I i started discovering recently um i just stumbled on a, a a video about the hobbit movies um there are many many people fans of these films um who do fan edits so they actually i mean i i, I 
I was watching this video and the guy was explaining like his version of The Hobbit. Because, you know, obviously The Hobbit was a, is a very small book, less than 300 pages, which was made into a giant trilogy of movies, which um, mm-hmm. people generally didn't like because yeah. it added tons of content that wasn't in the original book. So there are many fan edits of The Hobbit where people have kind of like cut it down and made it more true to the books themselves. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are fan edits. So there will be fan edits out there of Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yeah. I got to say, dudes, um, I hated the original movie. Like, hated it. Like, I, mm. I, I actually, yeah, I lamented the time I spent watching it. And I actually did watch it. Um, but the, the Snyder Cut, at least for me, was more coherent. Like, I cared about the characters more. I actually sat through the whole four-hour runtime and enjoyed it. Like, I actually enjoyed the story. I thought it was cool. Um, I like that they set up a bad guy, or at least we had a decent villain. Uh, I love Darkseid's voice, or Darkseed's voice, whichever you, whichever pronunciation you prefer. Um, really, actually. Wolverine. Wolverine! <laughs> but I love oh, you're that. a strange boy. They definitively call him Darkseid in the film. Yeah, but it's just not like the Leia versus Leah, you know, um, yeah, conversation. Yeah, but Lucas has said that he, both is correct because different people from different um, uh, different areas pronounce things differently. That's why Han versus Han. Han, exactly. Like, there's no correct version. It's just different dialects or different, you know. Uh, what so are they Wolverine, called? it is. No, Wolverine, Wolverine is wrong. But guys, if you, but I mean, you know, it's not like, how do I put it? I don't have to defend myself on that because thankfully I read a lot as a kid. So there was a lot of stuff I mispronounced, but at least I knew the words. Hey, tying it back to Mr. Larry Harmer, I recall him being quoted as saying that don't ever correct someone's pronunciation because it just meant that they learned their words (laughs) through reading. There you go. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know? But um, be, be a little bit more subtle, you know, next time you, you want to kind of like <laughs> criticize someone's pronunciation. <laughs> oh, anyway, um, and then I enjoyed the Wonder Woman stuff, but I also hated some of the Wonder Woman stuff. And I'm going to sum up why I hated some of the Wonder Woman stuff, because every time she comes in with a slow-mo kick, where's Rob on this one? So fucking irritating. I hated it. The worst. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That was excellent. It took a while for it to get to the point where I recognized it, but uh, it started bleeding through eventually. Well done, boys. Well done on everyone. Yeah, so that's all I really want to say. And I still think if you want to watch a really good Justice League um, Dark Side, uh movie series uh the animated dc movies that deal with that are actually very cool as well well actually are very cool they're just a bit compressed in terms of their their time span um but yes that's kind of the the benchmark by which i compare all of the dc movies i compare them to the animated movies their animated counterparts which are fun but anyway enough about that i want to get into some some buddy joe buddy comedy or maybe comedy i don't know but i want to definitely get into some buddy joes oh yes not that kind of podcast for those of you with a dirty mind looks at bot (laughs) 
to just kick open this topic and maybe get everyone's creative juices flowing, there are a few notable buddy pair-ups or, or uneasy allies would probably be an even a better term for it uh, in G.I. Joe mythology. I mean, everyone can recall the Navy-Marine rivalry in the season two of the Sunbow animated series. I refer specifically to Wetsuit and Leatherneck. I mean, those guys seemed to hate each other's guts in every scene they were in. But I got the feeling that because they were constantly egging each other on and pushing each other, like they wound up working better as a team. You're always on your toes. You're always on your edge. You're always like putting your best foot forward because you don't want to show any kind of weakness or slackness to your rival. Yeah, yeah that, they're, they're definitely, definitely good the because they come from two different schools of the military. I mean, they're expected to kind of uh, butt heads, but they do respect mm. each other. Another yeah, great um, established kind of arch nemesis slash uneasy alliance would be Flint and Baroness. Now, I mm. haven't read the uh, Devil's Due comic series where they actually wind up like fighting alongside one another, but I, I, I've heard about it. Um, all I'm going off of is uh, their appearance in, what is it, The Games Master in the, the mm. animated show? Oh, yeah, that's one of my they... favorite episodes. I love that. There you go. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Baroness flouncing around in a bikini the whole time. What's not to Hell like? yeah. Hey, female Cobra Troopers. But mm -hmm. they team up in order all to one. overcome the uh, arcade. What's his name? No, the Games Master. The Games sort of... Master, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Basically arcade. <laughs> Basically arcade. There you go. Even down to the way he captures people and the sort of the toy uh, obstacles he places in their path. But Rob, I wanted to, to, to remind you of perhaps a buddy comedy that uh, I always watched play out in our games. Mm. Um, and it was between you and our buddy Alistair. He always picked Beachhead. He was always extremely focused i mean he was arming this character before we'd even gone to the briefing <laughs> so he was like True. he was super gung-ho about just getting in there taking out the bad guys and and getting the mission done you however <laughs> the perennial player of scoop you were fighting every little distraction lollygagging filming things <laughs> taking your sweet time it must have grated his gears but but and here's the most beautiful part of the story he loved your humor so <laughs> it's true we were we were, we were often interrupting you uh, in the exactly. middle of some serious scene <laughs> so the the hard shell of Beachhead's characterization was constantly cracked by your character sort of making light of the situation, which was delightful. And I think that's that's how a, a buddy comedy should play. You've got to have the all business serious type. You've got to have the slacker, jokey type. And you'd expect them to hate each other's guts, but actually the combination is is more potent than than them being separate. Yeah, man. Good times, good times. Hell I've also yeah. been a fan of, uh, I also like the whole, um, you're very similar to each other. And that's also why you butt heads. Like, mm. um, <laughs> sorry, I'm thinking. Holy, do you guy. have, a, do you have a, a, a pair up that you've got in mind? I've got a pair up. I mean, it, I've had, a, I've had many leading up to this, uh, to this topic, but the one that I, I want to bring forth first, which brings me a bit of a chuckle is 
Um, it's a Cobra team up, but it's Raptor and Crocmaster. <laughs> and it's like, so it's the Raptor <laughs> oh, and the Crocmaster. <laughs> and you know, the thing is, like, if you look at their file cards, um, you know, Crocmaster comes from being a burglar, uh, he's an alligator wrestler and a burglar alarm salesman. So, this is a dude that didn't, um, and uh, by the way, there's nothing wrong with either of those things, but he obviously wasn't sure on the direction in his life and he did this and then he just obviously fell into this whole thing of the alligator motif and he just sort of went down with that in a big way he was like he just freaked himself up so this is a dude that's like kind of unfocused and and kind of just creepy for the sake of being creepy and you know he's just he's just that odd kid that would look underneath and there's nothing wrong with these kids by the way but he was that odd kid who always looked under rocks and was quite happy to pick up a scorpion with his hand and all that kind of stuff. Whereas Raptor comes from, you know, what I imagine has always been a sort of play on the, or an assault on the 80s yuppie culture. So he's always been about, you know, being buff, being, you know, cool and, and collected. And, you know, he's, he's all like, he's a finance dude, you know, he's like, you know, he's one of those slick kind of guys. And I'm not saying all finance dudes are slick, but he was one of those, those 80s types. So you've now essentially got like somebody who's very like down from the bayo, from the bayou, uh, mixed with somebody who's all like high tech eighties, and now they have to work together. But the thing is that they have a common thread between each other. They both, they both kind of nuts, <laughs> like properly nuts. I mean, Raptor's all about like he's falcons and he wears his wings. And I mean, for those of you who just don't know who Raptor is, and then you got Crocmaster, and he's all about well, what he's about, he's the crocodiles. And the thing is, I can just imagine these two being sent off on some kind of mission by Cobra to go and, I don't know, kidnap somebody or, you know, maybe <laughs> even take somebody out or something. But that mission is a total red herring. So as to distract G.I. Joe uh, from the true mission. And I think it would play out so well if these two are like just working together, but they actually ended up doing something really significant for Cobra, only for it to like completely fall apart at the end because Cobra themselves gets involved and actually messed up their master plan. But I think they would be at, at each other's throats all the time. I think, you know, because Crocmaster would all be like, yeah, Yo, you're a yuppie, you know, don't like chip your nails or anything like that. And then, you know, Raptor would be like, oh, look, there's something on the floor. You know, I'm surprised you haven't eaten it yet. You know, kind of thing. Like, that's the kind <laughs> of vibe that I'd play with those two. Sounds uh, like this is a, a certain, certainly a, a direction that uh, one of the special forces play motion uh, adventures entitled Clairvoyance by Mr. Troy Smith. Uh, it could have gone in that direction. They were both tasked with getting hold of Falcon. Yes. 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 The mm. Cobra Freaks. It was Raptor, it was Crystal Ball, it was Crocmaster, and Big Boa. The sort of 1987 crowd. <laughs> now, there's your four pack, my friend. There's your there's four pack. Your, four pack. Yeah, your, your mm -hmm. freaks. Freaks and they the absolutely beach. love animals as well. They both have animal companions, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's true as well. You know, and the thing is, their animal companions are also polar opposite. One is of the ground and water, and one is of the sky. You know. Ah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> hey. Hey. Robbie, what have you got for us, my dude? So I thought, yeah. So often, I thought like. My two characters have a lot of stuff in common, but their personalities themselves shouldn't work too well together. So I chose sci-fi and slipstream. Um, they're both exceptionally technical with electronics, um, uh, very intelligent people. But sci-fi has been, at least from the far cards, he's been characterized as having no sense of humor. 
He takes his time doing everything. He's very methodical. Um, he's never in a rush to get anywhere or do anything, which is, I mean, is appropriate for a guy who works with um, laser sights and, and sort of laser weapons. Um, well, you have someone like Slipstream who grew up as a hacker. He's into video games. He's probably very loud and brash. Um, he loves a good game of table tennis, apparently. Um, but he's also said to be a, an unrepentant joker and mimic. So I think him constantly trying to kind of get a laugh out of um, sci-fi would probably grind on him quite a bit. Um, and also for Slipstream himself, not being able to get a laugh out of sci-fi would kind of irritate him quite a lot. Um, but I also like that they're both kind of very intelligent um, and the types of like missions they could do would probably be a lot of um, undercover missions or um, espionage missions, hacking into systems um, in foreign countries as well. Um, Slipstream is fluent in several languages. Um, so there's kind of like a mutual respect between them, but there's also their personalities themselves just don't mesh well together. Um, and I thought that was like a cool idea of them kind of like Being working together, but not liking each other at the same time. Being a kind of a tech-savvy infantryman, I've oftentimes thought that uh, sci-fi could be cross-trained to be the backseat man on like a Sky Striker or Ghost Striker. So yeah, for sure. I foresee them being like, you know, Maverick and Goose, man. Yeah. They could also be, be, be buddies inside the, the jet itself. Yeah. I mean, I thought there, was, there, are a lot, there are a lot of characters who kind of are more, yeah, like Tango and Cash, um, as yeah. Bart says. Um, that, that could have worked with this. I mean, I had like a whole list of like asshole type characters or characters <laughs> who are kind of like jokers. Um, Airtight is, is another one. He's a practical joker. He could have worked quite well with sci-fi. Um, but yeah, I thought, I thought this was a really nice pairing where they're very similar, but their personalities are different enough that they wouldn't be able to get along easily and would create interesting situations. Yeah. Mm. Like, Turner, like Turner and Hooch. Yeah, turn and hooch, yeah. <laughs> like um, the, the lethal weapon guys. Oh, uh, Riggs and Murtaugh. Uh, Riggs and Murtaugh. Riggs and Murtaugh. <laughs> Do all for some shit. And Steve, who's on your, who, who's on your roster? Ah, uh, gentlemen. Well, in the mold of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I thought it might have been really cool to have old war buddies sort of who had been divided and then reunited. So my first thought definitely ran to that long-range recon patrol back in Nam, And I thought, hmm, I mean, Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow is done to death. And also, not too much fun having a mute. And also a pair of ninjas. It's like, you need a little bit of contrast. And for that contrast, mm. I would go with Stalker. Mm. But then I started thinking about it a little bit deeper. And like, Stalker never really had any conflict scenes with storm shadow like they never really had a serious falling out so yeah they have this history but what makes it interesting at the outset is for these characters to be pitted against one another so i started concocting this little storyline we all know that the soft master gets wiped out this is storm shadow's uncle now what is curious to me and it was word burglar who tipped me to this little fact is that when the hard monster gets killed, it sends Storm Shadow onto sort of a trail of, of, of revenge to find his uncle's killer, um, which takes him so far as to go in and infiltrate the Cobra organization. I mean, that's pretty drastic. But when the soft master gets bumped off, 
nothing happens. No mm. one goes after the killer. It, it remains to be the biggest unsolved mystery as to why, why all the fuss about the murder of the hardmaster and no fuss whatsoever about uh, the murder of his brother. Oh, yeah, yeah. The killer is still at large. Um, 1,000 Joburg points to anyone in the comment section who can recall who killed the Softmaster. Anyways, Softmaster had a modest, uh, well, maybe not so modest, um, uh, legacy. And one heir, that being Tomisaburu Arashikage. Uh, the Softmaster actually had a restaurant which was set into a tenement block in Spanish Harlem. It was called Comidas Chinas, food. Like, it's a sort of Spanish and Chinese food fusion restaurant. Um, and he also kind of owned outright the, the block of flats above it. Um, and so Storm Shadow being the sole heir gets this restaurant and he's like, oh shit, I, I don't know how to run a restaurant. I want nothing to do with this but appearances must be maintained if I'm going to track down my uncle's killer. Hmm. So who does he uh, approach to run this restaurant? Any guesses? Roadblock. Boom! The block. Yeah. What makes this more interesting (laughs) is, can anyone remember, uh, well, I suppose I've already left the breadcrumbs, but Roadblock quite handily defeats Storm Shadow in issue 24 with Commander Escapes. <laughs> he he is responsible for capturing Storm Shadow in the first place because he la-machined uh, Storm Shadow's face, uh, to put it into the the words used in, in the book. So they clearly had conflicts before, and it would be nice if, you know, Marvin Hinton gets this, this um, anonymous invitation to meet in this building and... He encounters Storm Shadow, and initially, of course, like any team-up movie, they fight. Um, but <laughs> what is greater than than Roadblock's enormous, imposing power and strength and aggression is the depth of his compassion. So Storm Shadow appeals to him, you know, on that level. Like I don't think there's a Joe with a bigger heart than Roadblock, and if he can help, he will. Uh, so the mission being to, to, to find Storm Shadows or to find the killer of Storm Shadows' uncle is what inspires him to help out. And and <laughs> on the one hand, you've got this kind of like comedy, I suppose, of them working in a kitchen. But on the other hand, you've got them peering deeper and deeper into the mystery and trying to find out who killed killed the soft monster. Yeah, man. And I was thinking like the sort of the mid-season reveal would be the fact that um, when the Softmaster was was blown up in a in a vehicle accident, um, he wasn't alone, and that there was a, a young boy in the car, and that the end of the season reveal, they find the killer, but they learn that the the boy was not only um, Cobra Commander's son, boom, bombshell, but second bombshell. He's still alive. Oh, <laughs> shit. And uh, in the final duel between the killer and, and Storm Shadow, it's a roadblock who intervenes and says, like, no, man, this guy needs to answer for his crimes. Like, you can't give him the easy way out. You can't just slit his throat and be done with it. 
So there's kind of a battle of moralities as well worked into the show. Huh. I think that'd be kind of fun. And I think these two characters would play off each other in much the same way as you had the great chemistry between Power Man and Iron Fist. Mm. You know, mm. they're both street, but they're both street from different walks of life, completely yeah. different walks of life. And and them having Spanish Harlem as a as a sort of a very ethnic background to for this all to play out in so many dimensions. And the fact that the Comidas Chinas uh, restaurant is set into a tenement block, like you've got to deal with tenants and all that jazz. Like there's so many great like potential uh, episode elements to play into it. Maybe even a romance. Hey, have we ever yeah. seen um, Tommy or Marvin have relationships hmm. uh, uh there is a little bit of that but it's um in that master and apprentice um there seems to be a bit of a weird love triangle thing that goes on between tommy's um student and snake eyes his former student so thank you thank you thank you uh, just like to uh, address it, yeah, I, I think I goofed a little bit. It's not a necessarily a, 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 a fusion restaurant. It's literally just saying Chinese food in Spanish because yes, they're on, they are in Spanish Harlem, so it's you know, appealing to the local clientele. Yeah, so that would be my kind of buddy comedy situation, gents. I like that. That's mm. actually really cool. I, like, I really like how you set that up and where that could go. Um, Damn, and it's cool because it's also not just the military life. It's more like, what are they doing in this very different situation to being military officers and actually completing missions, which which is quite cool. It's kind of setting it in in a you know, a place where a lot of a lot of things can happen, as you said, with the tenement, with the restaurant itself. Like, how do they manage ordering stuff, uh, customers? Um, and there's lots of uh, kind of like feel good things that could happen where they help different customers with different problems and things. It's like, yeah, it's like basically yeah, Iron Man, Iron Man, Iron Fist, and <laughs> Luke Cage. Yeah, yeah, you know. I also mm -hmm. dig. So one of the uh, one of the things that sort of inspired <laughs> this line of thinking was from DJ's file card for me, um, mm -hmm. where it basically says like he's the most irritating member of GI Joe. Um, <laughs> In, in short, like it just like he just drives everybody crazy, and I mean, you know, it's bad when he's Battle Force two thousand, and he's not even like, you know, part of the same roster, like you know, <laughs> you know what I mean, like in the same year. So, yeah. So to quote something from his file card here, his teammates can count on DJ to get the message out, even if he has to rebuild the transmission from parts. Once he's on the air, it's his chatter that they uh, that they can do without, and. Like they try to give like a bit of a rap thing there, and I really didn't want to play into that. But yeah, I, I kind of feel like DJ with pretty much anybody would also be really interesting. Yeah. Um, just because he, he, I think he's also kind of aware of the fact that he is what he is. But I think he's just kind of that's you know he he thinks he's cool, and I'm not saying he's not. But in his world, he's cool, and in this world of the military, he's not cool. He's not the cool guy. And so if you put him up with, and, and the person I was thinking of is who uh, Stephen mentioned earlier was Stalker, actually, because I can imagine, because, you know, DJ comes from being a DJ and Stalker comes from, you know, being on the streets and things like that. Um, he knows, you know, he knows the lay of the land there and maybe, you know, Cobra or 
some force is doing something and they're the, the two best sort of undercover agents to, to handle it. And I, and I can just imagine that these two generations uh, of um, sort of street would also clash with each other. Like they would have stuff that like they would both like agree on, but they would clash. I think DJ would drive mm. him absolutely crazy, you know, because like, you know, Stalker would be the straight man. He would be all like, you know, go in there and like smash people up and he'll say something like, you know, I'm going to rip off your balls or something. And then DJ will be like, oh, Stoker, we're going to rip off some balls on the next room, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Or, you know, <laughs> like, you know, like he would be, uh, well, where Stalker would be like Michael Jordan, like DJ would seem a lot like Dennis Rodman. He'd be like Dennis Rodman, you know. Or yeah, you know, he's talking about sports. Yeah, jeez, Rob, we lost, man. What are you talking about? For? <laughs> Maybe someone uh, in the comments uh, can help us. But uh, yeah, that's just kind of the vibe that I get. It's like completely out there, but actually really good to have on your side, kind of guy, DJ. Um, because did anyone think of any pairings that uh, pair mm. male and female? Or is that just a, a recipe for trouble? Are we are we looking at kind of potential romantic entanglements? I, just I like, try to avoid that. Yeah. Yeah. Rob, I, I think you know where I'm heading with this. Like once upon <laughs> a time, we were involved in a RPG, a sort of free form text-based role-playing yeah. game. And yeah. while yeah, while you and I and Alistair were very keen and focused on like action, um, yeah. there was a, a core group. And I'm not necessarily saying they were females, but I, I wouldn't doubt that uh, possibly uh, being being the, the, the reason. But uh, they were very focused on romance. Like mm, all the characters so. in G.I. Joe were all hooking up. Like <laughs> everyone. Like they would write reams and reams of text. I didn't see how they ever had time to actually have missions. There was so much drama. <laughs> Yeah, you see, that, that drives me crazy. Like, I don't want that. You know, then it then it becomes yeah, like, like pages of like conversations. It's wild. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. But here we have a great suggestion in the live <laughs> chat. Gaz says Clutch and Lady J. I would say yes, but wasn't Clutch and Scarlet more of a thing? Anyways, I just just seem to recall in those early days that Clutch was the. Okay, well, yeah, if, if you're talking about Sunbow, but in the early Marvel comic issues, Clutch had a, a running, um, I suppose, tete-a-tete -tete with Scarlet. I mean, he was the, the completely shameless ladies' man, you know, mm. greaser. And, of course, the only female on the team is going to get a lot of his attention. And Scarlet would just constantly rebuff him. Like, <laughs> not a chance, loser. Um, because, you know, she's as proficient and as like focused as you're likely to get on the Joe team. Mm. Um, I True. thought uh, Destro and Lady J because of their potential family connection. <laughs> From the Sunbow cartoon. Oh, yeah. Uh, their potential family <laughs> and wait for a Dagon, you know, connection. I just want to put that out there. Carry on. Explain. Dagon is one of the old gods from HP Lovecraft. And in that episode, yeah. that uh, castle that they inherit has is basically inhabited by Dagon in the bottom of underneath the castle. And that's lifted straight out of HP Lovecraft. And also, if you guys, I know you don't like horror movies, but I mentioned Necronomicon a few episodes back. And there is an episode in the Necronomicon, which is exactly about Dagon. And it's set up the same way, inheriting an old castle manor, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, anyway, mm -hmm. so 
<laughs> well, the comic books also touched on this potential for uh, brushings in the future where um, Flint and Lady J are paired up with Destro as he tries to take back his family home in Scotland. Uh, they go on a kind oh. of a, an easy alliance type mission side by side with Destro. Um, and by the end of it, Destro is actually kind of romancing Lady J and she's not exactly putting it down. Much to yeah. the chagrin of Flint in the background. He's, mm -hmm. I think Destro sort of, uh, I don't know, he, he's being compelled to, uh, if the Joes assist him, he's going to give the Joes the Terradrome plans or something like that. And oh, by the okay. end of the issue, he, he says to Flint as he, or sorry, he says to Lady J as he's handing over the plans is, the problem with making a pact with an attractive woman is one is obligated to honor it. And he kisses her hand. Oh, so smooth. But <laughs> oh, basically, cool. it, maybe there's potential there for not only an alliance, but also this kind of like dalliance that they then would rub in the faces of their respective partners. Hey, I'm starting to get like that group of RPG uh, writers. Well, let me throw in my two cents. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, focused on the romance, baby. No, I actually... Roll. This would totally not be on the romantic side of things, um, but a, a team-up I've always liked in idea of is Scarlet and Shipwreck. Um, but the scenario would be that Snake Eyes is... You know you know when, when Scarlet has those moments where her and Snake Eyes are kind of apart from each other? You know, like, you know, they're still very much in love or whatever the hell, but they're apart from each other because they've decided, oh, you know, it can't work. Oh, blah, 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 blah. I think IDW, I mean, Devil's Due really rode that that camel hard. But um, I kind of like the idea of a Scarlet that sort of distanced herself from Snake Eyes. And then having to, being, uh, having to be paired up with Shipwreck. And Shipwreck, he's not actually hitting on her. He is just the quintessential sort of misogynist kind of, you know, guy. He's like, he's like not down for women's rights or... Any of that stuff, he's just the man, you know, like, like, like complete, like alpha male asshole kind of vibe. And but he is a badass soldier and he has got some cool things about him, you know, where, you know, he, for example, he doesn't necessarily patronize Scarlet, but he keeps teasing her. But he's not actually romantically interested in her. He's just really, it's just like they're actually good friends. And, you know, he ends up, you know, for all of this coolness of being, oh, I'm the, I'm the badass guy. I don't care about sensitivity. All of this bullshit. He actually ends up being the person who she confides a lot of stuff in. You know, so like when they're on mission, she would like say, you know, oh, you know, I really hate it when like Snake Eyes orders tacos. I mean, have you ever seen a guy with a burnt face eating tacos? Well, you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing. And he's sitting in the back there going, I hate my life. Why am I with this woman? Why is she telling me this stuff? You know, focus on the mission kind of thing. You know, and he's like, but that ass, <laughs> you know, because she's taking point. Like, I like that kind of dynamic too, because they're just really, really, really good friends. And it is actually platonic. And I feel like Shipwreck is kind of the guy that could make that work with, with, uh, with Scarlet <laughs> without it being romance. Just, it'd be, you know, that could be interesting as well. Uh, for me, uh, and and I've played that scenario in my head because I'd like I'd love to one day do something. Yeah, there's, but it's like completely, you know, you know, whatever's. Well, it's another interesting thing for a second that these characters actually have an arc. What? 
they start out hating each other and then eventually become confidants. Jeez, Paul, unprecedented. No way. No yeah, yeah. A cool suggestion I saw Bart make um, was a, a cool part pairing would be Tidgebang and Snake Eyes. Oh yeah. Obviously, Snake Eyes says nothing, and Tidgebang has a has a vow of silence. Oh, I mean, they make a cool show. Well, it's only a matter of time issue before, in a whole new direction. <laughs> it's only a matter of time before Liefeld uh, introduces Snake Eyes to Deadpool. And I think we've joked about it before that like Deadpool oh, brings enough mouth for both of them. <laughs> but yes, it's like, I don't true. need all that bullshit in my Joe book. I just need military action. I mean, in my Joe <laughs> book, I just need military action. Yeah, dude, I hear you. But, uh, you know, the thing is, like, uh, some of the comics that, you know, Bart has been sending me some of the comics, and which is really cool of you, by the way, dude. And a lot of those books have actually just been very action heavy. And I kind of go cool, cool, cool. You know what I mean? Like, I enjoy dra uh, drama and comic books if it's done well, <clears throat> if, it's, if it's got the right momentum. But I'm also thinking of a play motion, not so much a comic book. So, Ooh, mm. nice. Gentlemen, shall we cap off our oil and water famous pair-ups conversation? Uh, this, I, it's, it's interesting to me that this is a, the topic for episode 191 because guess what, Paul? You came up with it completely free and independent of the fact that on the other G.I. Joe podcast I had a hand in, Talking Joe, this was a listener question back in episode oh. 83. Yeah. Whoa. Interesting. Yeah, Crazy. so we put it out to the listenership, and they came back with some fantastic suggestions. Check out episode 83 of Talking Joe if you're so inclined. I'm but totally Chief and I concocted a little something-something, uh, also involving Roadblock, but this time pairing him up with Cobra's Poet Laureate, the mercenary, Major Blood. So here's a taste, ladies and gentlemen, of Block and Blood. <laughs> We've got a story to tell you about a pair of badass hombres that set out to wage lyrical warfare across the globe. The Block and the Blood. This is their story. I'm big, I'm bad, I'm hitting Marvin Elf. Qualified French hot cuisine chef. Busting out tunes in the local church choir Now check out my homie, he's such a live wire Blood by name and blood by nature Sebastian to my friends, but you can call me Major My mind is tactical, a shiny steel trap So don't get in my way or give me none of your crap A gourmet chef with no taste for cobra I'm stomping them snakes till I make my quota Busting out of cuffs Flipping over vamps, much love to my family, my granny and my gramps. I gave a kid a gun to shoot his dad in the face. Breaking international laws all over the place. I wear an eye patch purely for style, and my poetic poems are sure to beguile. They'll fight for freedom wherever there is trouble. You'll find block and blood will be there on the double. They never give up, they are always there. Fighting for freedom over land and air. Lock and blood, we be road tripping. When hunger hits, fried eggs we be flipping. When you're feeling low and woozy, make sure you slap a fresh clip in your woozy. If you piss us off, you better vamoose. 
or I'll bust a cap in your ass with my ma deuce. Block and blood, yo. And we out. Do I get to say it now? Damn fool, we out of here. Cobra retreat! Criminally underplayed, but hey, nice to get an opportunity to throw some, sh- throw some shine at an old Talking Joe jingle. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, <laughs> the burgers. <laughs> that was the chief. The chief. He backtracks. He scores. I just say the words. That's fantastic, dude. Damn. Okay. Sweet. We're making a bit of better look out. Body yeah. is a weapon. Shall we? Crack the open and the blood. Don't forget the buzz. Are oh, we going to set the post box, the pit to detonate, Steve? Is that where we, what you were getting I at think so. But while you queue up our follow-up audio file, yes, ladies and gentlemen, we've got another uh, love letter sent to us via the emails uh, at a real South African hero at gmail.com in voice note style. Great stuff. Uh, while he queues that up, we've got another one. This one from Outback Stew. Asking if you were a weapon, which weapon would you be? Hmm. 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 Yeah, he says, I see Steve being a blade of some sort for the silent kill. I see Paul as some sort of rocket or something. And Rob, <laughs> his camera is That's a weapon. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys agree? Do you guys agree with Outback Stew's uh, evaluation of your. Your personal armament. I, I think uh, he's actually asking if we were an, an a, a weapon, if we were an yeah, inanimate object. Yeah, an actual weapon. Yeah. Wow, dude. Okay. I I, I want to weigh in, um, but I want to weigh on weigh in on on yours and Rob's actually. Um, I would say, and Rob, this is not taking anything away from you. Uh, I would say Steve, in a lot of ways, would be as a weapon, would be a camera, like. And I, and I mean that like in the coolest way, because I know some people don't think a camera is a weapon, but it is. It's a very powerful tool. It's probably the most powerful weapon in, uh, of our age at the moment. Not to sound, well, I just realized how that sounded. Anyway, but um, just with the play motion and stuff, dude, I, I got to say, like, you pull off stuff with a phone camera. That is insane. And when people ask me what equipment we use to shoot G.I. Joe book play motion videos, I'm like... I think iPhone at the time, 8. I was using an iPhone <laughs> 4 uh, back in the day. And right. it's mostly been an iPhone with the occasional dalliance into using a GoPro. Yeah, um, yeah I've yet to take my, un- my iPhone underwater. But yes, Rob's also volunteered his phone from time to time. Oh, hmm. Much better camera. <laughs> <laughs> that too. Jeez. Hmm. Plenty of love in the comments thread on episode 190 about my new arrival. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It has been quite overwhelming, actually. A lot of people felt compelled to write in some of the usual suspects and some of the unusual suspects. So to everyone who felt uh, the urge to reach out and just congratulate me and Kim, I thank you very much. Uh, And also, Paul, to your question, your quickfire topic regarding whether or not people would prefer the small roster of G.I. Joe to simply get updated looks and uniforms versus uh, 
adding completely new members to the team, particularly environmental specialists. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that a lot more people would have liked to keep the core unit small. Mm. But the caveat that a few people added to that, such as Action Robot Punch and Matt Littleboy, was that a lot of people's favorite characters were the obscure ones. Mm. Uh, we would have we would have lost them from the table completely if if instead of environmental specialists or very hyper-specialized Joes, you simply got one of the OGs in a, a new skin. Yeah, I mean, Scoop would never have existed. That's actually yeah, true. true. I mean, who well, would have been who... Scoop of this universe? I mean, like Snake yeah, of Silent no, of, Shooter. Of the kind of the canonic core characters, who then would have been the the combat correspondent. Jeez, I Any don't know, like, like Flash or someone like that. <laughs> I'm going to say Lady J. Ah, that makes sense. Because yeah. not only yeah. does she look like a news anchor woman, and she, she could no doubt pull it off being a kind of a, she, an espionage chick with the, you know many faces, but she also came packaged with a camera. Yep. <laughs> it's true, yeah. and I'm glad I own a Lady J figure, so I own both versions of Scoop. <laughs> He's not going to let it go, ladies and gentlemen. I can't even remember what episode number it was when I wagered my Lady J. When he lost her, her. yeah. Uh, but I do recall winning her back at some stage, so. Oh, well, I don't. Lady J. Jeez. And another great, around. another great caveat to the the OGs, just retreading characters or, or ushering in new characters is that if you look at the file cards, there seem to be almost a closed list of variations. Like mm. Dustin Cordish was very quick to point out that yes, we got new characters, but oftentimes if you read their their file cards. It was a retreading of another character's traits. Yeah, like very much it so. seems like all the navy guys have this kind of shorthand of being cold fish, of being antisocial. I mean, it started with torpedo. Deep six got the same treatment. Shipwreck was the outlier, but wetsuit once again was kind of very focused, very unpersonable. So, like, we got new members rostered. But there seems to be like recurring motifs with the characters themselves. Yeah, like I know I know exactly what you're talking about there. I mean, when you when you start looking at guys like uh, Recoil being a long range recon, and then Snake Eyes is also a long range recon, and then uh, you look at Repeater, and Repeater is basically just the fill in for Rock and Roll, and yeah. I'm not being so, very technical here, but yeah. I'm I'm gonna say just on a toyetic basis, like if you've got a display and you're basically being forced to choose between versions, that's infinitely less impressive than like having display of entirely unique characters. Here's where like the modern G.I. Joe and vintage G.I. Joe split occurs. It's like with modern Joes, I only want to display one Duke. I don't want to have five Dukes in my display. Yeah, and you also don't want to be Paul and have five Dukes to choose from. <laughs> or 25 I, Dukes. It's like I do. want a display that <laughs> looks bulky and voluminous like a team, but I don't want repeats. I don't want repeat characters just because they have a different outfit. Anyways, that's just me. I'm not saying that I should 
insist that everyone else jump into the fire with me. No, that's why it was but, such a uh, cool topic to put out there, actually. Like, that feedback was great. I mean, I, I looked at some of it leading up to this episode, and I got to say, it is really cool to get guys tucking in. Um, mm, there was one mm. that I want to mention, and I'm sorry that I can't quite remember who said it, but they uh, basically the original G.I. Joe. Uh, oh, I know where you're going. I've got it in front of me. That. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I yes, absolutely. And I think subconsciously that must have been in my mind because I wasn't even thinking of that. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, boom. And then somebody mentioned it. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. They did do that. That's that's pretty cool. <laughs> but, guys, uh, uh, what, what I wanted to add to that is I I was sitting today and I was thinking about it. And, uh, and I was actually, and I'm sorry, I keep doing this, but I was just looking at He-Man's Origins figures online because somebody oh. in, in a local <laughs> toy group. and the master of the podcast. Somebody on a local <laughs> toy group was just very happy that he managed to get a Triclops or whatever the hell. And then I thought about it and I was like, well, like, you know, to actually get a complete set of Motu characters, it's not the biggest roster. I think it's about, I think all in all, it's about 50 figures, all in all. Okay. So if one wanted to collect the entire thing, you know, it's 50 figures. And then I thought, well, you know, GI Joe is significantly more. <laughs> and I'm very thankful for the fact that we have so many different characters, even though they share similar special uh, specialties or specialities, um, because this has been a toy line that has just, it's just kept on giving, you know, and it gave it all in the eighties and nineties, to be fair. I mean, yes, the modern era and, and all that stuff aside. And if you want to get into all of that stuff, awesome, because then it still gives, but it's a toy line that hasn't stopped giving. And it's just amazing in that respect, you know, that, you know, even now, what is it, 30 years later, we can still get excited about, you know, a DJ toy that comes in your post because you've never had him. You've known about him for like forever, but now you finally have DJ, you know, yay. <laughs> um, I, I've grown to like the toy quite a bit, actually, but it's just that's the magic of G.I. Joe, I suppose, as well. It's a toy line that's just enduring, you know, in that respect. All right, Paulie, it, do you have that anyway. voice clip queued up, my brother? I do, I do. Uh, hold Hello, G.I. Joe Berg. This is Psychelt. I have been reviewing your psychological profile, and it appears that it's obvious you have a huge, huge mental capacity for G.I. Joe. Could you tell me about your most recent dream about G.I. Joe action figures? Thank you. Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> Who wants to start with that one? I'm trying to think. I mean, I generally I, I I tend to struggle to remember my dreams, um, when I have them. <sighs> Maybe daydreams. Daydreams be might be easier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For a while now, I've been trying to think of like uh, like a cool story for Scoop to have. Um, and I've, I've been kind of like struggling to figure out something for him to do. Um, I think the closest I got was kind of like an espionage mission where he where he apparently gets captured, but he, you know, that was part of the plan the whole time. Um, I think that was like the main thrust of my daydreaming around G.I. Joe recently. Here's an interesting jump off point that uh, we actually discussed on the podcast. And unfortunately, this was in your hiatus. But hmm. in terms of the technical approach to a scoop play motion, uh, Paul and I thought that the most interesting way of presenting it would be the found footage way. Mm. Literally, it's kind of like they're going over Scoop's tapes. 
Like we're seeing, that is a cool way of doing it. Yeah, his perspective and what he's filming. We're seeing what his camera sees. But what I want to know, and and we had an answer for this in the episode, but without prefacing it, without giving the game away, I want to know from you, Rob. Would you have Scoop always behind the camera, or would you play him up to be an anchor man from time to time, step out in front of the camera? Well, I think the character he was based off was was very much an anchorman, more than the guy always behind the camera. So he was right. he was more of the guy in front of the camera, you know, kind of doing the interviewing, doing doing, uh, you know, the talking. Um, mm. So I probably have him in front of the camera some of the time. But the thing is, also, he's the only character that has the camera. I mean, he can't really give it to someone else, can he? So his no, his role not. in the team is to film other people doing things. Um, I think there might be opportunities for him to kind of like to set it up and kind of like narrate what's going on or conduct interviews or conduct interviews, but practically it would be him behind the camera and he, you just see what he's seeing at least practically. Mm. Well, I hope, uh, I hope that's of some help to you, man. Just to kind of a, maybe. Yeah, no, for sure. The, they'll get a look at some more daydreams going on. And then there's Can that weird moment when clutch, uh, come, uh, approaches scoop and, and his camera skills, and he's like, "Hey, Scoop, uh, I got a bit of cash for you if you got that camera ready." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dodgy, dodgy, some cool shit. Um, you can film. <laughs> Scarlet's got to like, change that unitard sometime. You know, somebody's <laughs> like, "What's Scoop doing here?" He's holding the camera. Oh, yeah, and then you know you can have him filming a bag, flo- uh, you know, being blown in the wind and stuff. <laughs> My most recent daydreams <laughs> relating to G.I. Joe have got to be about the just the content of uh, Roadblock and Storm Shadows, I don't know, dialogue together or the experiences and their perceptions that they can they can have. What is so interesting to me, and it made me feel warm and fuzzy inside, and I hope it had the same effect on anyone else watching the second episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier or Jeez, Paul, you've cursed me. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier <laughs> is um, they have a little bit of uh, social commentary. Yeah. They're walking through like a very... Spoilers. Well, okay, let me not spoil it then. But, but basically, like, there is an element of, like, almost racial prejudice that plays out. And I think that is a fantastic lens that, that G.I. Joe has actually distanced itself from but maybe handled with the right characters and the right creative team, it could be a fantastic, just a lens to pass over society. And I think Roadblock and, and Storm Shatter are, are a perfect pair for that. Mm. Representationally and also just like how they are juxtaposed. I mean, they're not cliches and yet they are. Whoa, amazing. You know, I actually... Ro- Damn, I want to add something to that now. Like when you oh, were yeah. talking about it earlier, I really love the idea of uh, the sort of GI Joe Cobra Wars have like sort of ended now, you know, kind of Cobra Commander is dead and or missing or whatever. And you've got this uh, roadblock storm shadow kind of thing happening. And they're essentially both, you know, good people, you know, and they're used to the sort of structure of being part of a military uh, a military force. I mean, Storm Shadow is part of the Arashikage, which in its own uh, respect is actually kind of a, a small militia. Um, and they can't help but help people, you know, and you sort of said it there, like when people in the neighborhood have like trouble, you know, 
these two sort of sort it out, you know, and they still have like a lot of the old GI Joe contacts, you know, so they can still like, you know, call up, you know, DJ <laughs> or sci-fi or whatever is to help them hack something or, or whatever is to, to get Intel on somebody and, and, you know, sort of bust some drug dealers nuts or something. Um, and there's sort of, I, I, I'm not saying it's the way to go. I'm just saying it's just something that just popped in my head now and I just had to get it out before. I All right. Well, what are we calling this buddy series? Bullets uh, and blades. I think it's a little Storm bit shadow too serious. The ninja and the chef. <laughs> shadow block. Shadow road. Shadow. Um, uh, uh, what's, what's that? Storm. Uh, cle uh, cle uh, what? The cleaver and the, uh, the cleaver and katana. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> Reference the kitchen somehow. Yeah. Um, hmm. Blades of hmm. steel. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> I love that game. Blades oh, of steel. The fact I love that you the could like... that game. Yes. Oh man. <laughs> I played it the day of my bachelor's. With with L, <laughs> fuck that was great, dude. Anyway, Blades of Steel was one of the best fighting games on this. <laughs> ironically, ironically, guys, my GI Joe dreams are more nightmares than they are dreams. Um, <laughs> like I lost another thing. No, 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 Shen. Thankfully, it's not that. Although, uh, there have been okay. So the most recent one. Uh, and it does play out like this. And I have mentioned this before, so I'm just going to go through it quickly. But uh, like, for example, uh, this one was actually super recent with all the lockdown stuff happening and lots of toy dealers popping up on Facebook and all that. Uh, I've been like on Facebook pages and as, as you've been as well, Steve, on your side of the world, um, because guys are just a lot of toy collectors are just flogging stuff and whatever's and you know for whatever reason whether it be a good thing or a bad thing that they have to get rid of the toys anyway they have been and i had this uh, one where i just stumbled on this great collection of just vehicles like it was like a rolling thunder which is still a vehicle i want um and there were a couple of others in there which i would love to have but i'm not going out of my way to get like a whale and there was like something else in there that was pretty obscure oh it was the street fighter hq um, which is basically the G.I. Joe HQ just in the Street Fighter uh, deco. Anyway, and the guy wanted like 1500 bucks for all of that. And it was all complete. Nothing was broken. And I was like, this is amazing. And on the website, I'm like, okay, cool. And I send him like a message and I go, yes, very interested. Please send me your banking details so that we can conclude the transaction. And where would you like to meet? Are you in the, you know, and I do all of this stuff. And then he goes, uh, sorry, buddy. Uh, it's it's like it's been sold, but I'm like that's impossible because, and it's just this like whole stupid back and forth, and then the same stuff appears from another seller who's ob obviously the guy that bought it, and then it gets like more expensive, and then I'm like, oh cool, okay, I'm really interested in these, blah 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 blah, and then it just keeps going down this whole rabbit hole of being like sold. So that was the one I had recently, which sucks. Um, and then there was one sort of before then where. Uh, Actually, Robin, you just reminded me of it now by saying losing. Uh, I kept thinking that I had a, um, of all the toys in G.I. Joe, a Flak Viper. And so, like, in my dream, I was, like, busy, like, organizing my G.I. Joe collection. I was doing something with my G.I. Joe collection. I was like, where's my Flak Viper? You know, like, 
and and I'm like searching high and low for the damn flak viper and everything, and then I'm finding like I've the got weapon right here, Paul. I've got him right here. Cool. Courtesy of oh. our friend from the Philippines, Robert Kalupitan. It's Sweet. yours. I just Yay. have to leave my exile and come home. <laughs> yeah, you have to return from Elba. Boom. Yeah, and, and and then it like yeah, so that's that's kind of been like my my um dreams. So psych out. <laughs> um, I hope that that helps your psychological profile for the. Um... Mm -hmm. <laughs> and once again, thank you, Troy Smith, for the voice notes. Uh, if anyone else wants to send us a, their thoughts, their questions, their innermost desires, just uh, record a voice note and send it to a real South African hero at gmail.com. Keep it around 30 seconds. That'd be great. Thanks. Or you could just reach out to us in the comment section down below. If anything we've said in this episode has piqued your interest, it's always a fun discussion to tap into. And be advised that anything that you say or do can be voiced in a future podcast. Well, yeah, will be aired. Um, yeah, and also, exactly. if you want to be part of our live studio audience, you can check out our Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash G.I. Joburg. Um, if you want to join one of the awesome, you know, Patreon or join our awesome Patreon Berg Force, um, you know, and support something that's really awesome in the form of G.I. Joburg. Um, it helps us a lot. So thank you guys. And if you want to wear some cool t-shirts, we've also got them available on our Teespring. Uh, and you can check that out on the screen. It's uh, our teespring.com stores check out gi joburg the merch for some of our very very cool t-shirts and i gotta say while i'm here thank you so much for the support for the renegades shirt um i have decided i will extend its availability to the 30th just because it's been pretty popular um as a lot of guys have been picking it up and i figured you know let me leave it up until the 30th because guys maybe got paid late or whatever so you've got until the 30th to grab your the renegades uh t-shirt um, What's your favorite merch, Paulie? Ooh, What's dude. Your uh, favorite work of art that you've entered into our Teespring? I really, really love um, the, the Cobra Eel and the Snow Serpent. Those are my current favorites. And I, uh, I, I kind of... It's difficult. Team like, 85 for the win. It's like you, you, you got to pick your favorite children here. That's the problem. But... I think my three favorites, I'm going to narrow it down just because I've worn my Iron Grenadier shirt to death. Um, and that was like my super favorite for the longest time. But I'm really, really loving the Snow Serpent, um, the Eel, and the Beachhead, actually. Like, I would love to have my own Beachhead shirt. Just unfortunately, with shipping, uh, bringing it into South Africa is a bit tricky. <laughs> but uh, yeah, what I love What is it with customs? They flag t shirts. Yeah, I guess there's so many people importing like like wholesale T-shirts from China and stuff to sell here that uh, yes. our local customs slap a huge tariff yeah. on that. Stuff. It's just apparel. I think it's because it's something that is available locally. Actually, you know, ironically, clothing. But I think clothing in general. That's also why the comic book shop I work at we don't ever import apparel because yeah, uh, yeah it really messes up your your shipments at customs. Yeah, uh, and also, if I, I'm going to say this, uh, but it is a fact. If you are getting apparel items from China, you will have no problems. Oh, so yeah. Oh, okay. It's a trade agreements and things like that, you see. So, so we need to find ourselves a merch store that makes stuff that is, in China. That ships from China, yeah. 
for us oh, to get Alibaba. it country with minimal tax. Oh, there we yeah. go. Perfect. Yeah. Alibaba yeah. will ship to you. I tried to get something from Alibaba the other day, AliExpress, actually, to be more accurate. And mm. the items cumulatively came up to $15. It was just um, some decal sheets for model kits. But the shipping was, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you are sitting down, but the shipping was $162,000. <laughs> no, don't talk shit. Seriously, dude, I cannot believe it. I was like, Scam. What? I was like, what? what the actual F? Like, how? how what, are they, what are they shipping that in? Like a private airplane? Like a dude, dude carries it I to have, you personally? <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. But like, it turns out any shipping from China to South Africa from no. AliExpress. It's like a hundred thousand dollars. It's crazy. And then I thought, okay, maybe it's the one item. So I removed the one item. And it's true, it was the one item. It reduced it to sixty-eight thousand dollars. <laughs> it's like, what am I shipping? The, house? the courier takes yeah. you out for dinner, you know, takes you to a hotel room afterwards. You yes, have a good night. And uh, bring the next day you have your package. <laughs> crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Anyway, guys, yeah. <laughs> All but, right, uh, time to go off and uh, change a diaper. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me love you long time. You know, you know, I like um, I like that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. The the the, the five stages of excretion. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else got any closing remarks? Or are we leaving it on that? <laughs> <laughs> it's been it's been a good ride. And we're off into the sunset. Hell yeah. Yeehaw! I'm going to have a good shit. And and no one's going to enjoy my face expression. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Oh, All right. We've been G.I. Joburg. This has been episode 191. Thanks again to our live studio audience. And thank you to you guys, Paul, Rob, my boys. We love oh. you long time. Oh, we, we miss you long time. Mm. Yeah, that 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 goes without saying, dude. Miss you big time, actually. So, yeah, man. Yeah. Well, and you too, <laughs> Robosaurus. Oh, that's yeah. kind. I'm gonna be close to you Who's soon. Robosaurus. I'm gonna I'm gonna be close to Rob soon, though. I'm going to George in like two, three weeks. Three weeks. So close. I'll feel your presence nearer to me. Oh. I will. I'll be shooting GI Joe toy footage in Neisner. I've got a little bit of a ninja kick thing that I'm. They're figuring out. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Celia said I can bring toys with. I was like, yes. Aww. But she meant GI <laughs> His master's voice. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Catch you next week. Yo, Joe. Oh wait, that's a different song, I think. That's uh, a new one. It's just it's just equally annoying every time. We 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 have to change it up, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I need to go and placate my screaming child. Alright, boys. Uh, thank you.